All right, join with me in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the, the armor that you supply, the grace of your Holy Spirit, and uh, the, the work that you have begun within us. We pray that you would strengthen us and uh, nourish us, that we might grow and bear good fruit unto your glory and to the good of our neighbor, unto the edification of one another. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today we come to the, the final lesson in this series on uh, virtue, on growing in virtue. Uh, we've looked at virtue itself uh, being this uh, quality, this uh, habit uh, of, of excellence, of, of moral excellence in particular. You could think of physical virtues like exercise, being a trained sports player or something like that. But we're, we're talking about character qualities, um, moral virtues, and we looked at uh, first faith, hope, and love, and piety, uh, virtues that are especially directed towards God. Of course, uh, love, for example, is also for our neighbor, and piety has also filial piety towards parents or country, but, but those four are especially directed towards God. And then we also looked at wisdom and righteousness and steadfastness. And today we come to self-control. Um, you know, in the, the, store, the parable of the sower, there are some seeds that fall on the path, and the birds eat up the seeds. What, what virtue are those hearers lacking in? <clears throat> what do they not do? They do not understand. They don't understand the word. And it, it goes in one ear and out the other. They don't have wisdom. Um, there's other seeds that are sown among thorny soil. Uh, so the thorns grow up and choke them out. That's what we're going to talk about today, where they're choked out by the cares of this world or by the desire for riches, deceitfulness of riches. There's also the seed sown on the rocky soil, uh, where they don't have good roots, and the sun comes out, which tr is trials and difficulties, and so the plant dries up, doesn't bear any fruit. Uh, of course, the, the lack of all of them is the fact that none of them have, have true faith, uh, which... Uh, uh, will include and, and produce these virtues, but the final one digs deep roots in and so exercises steadfastness and self-control and is not choked out by the thorns, but overcomes them, right? Is not overcome by the sun, but endures. Uh, today we come to that idea of self-control. In order that you might not be led astray by sinful desires, exercise and build up self-control. Uh, again, like these, all these virtues, we can also call them graces because they have been uh, worked by the grace of God, uh, that they are gifts that he works in his people, as well as being virtues. Now, the word self-control is, is, seems pretty self-evident, right? Control of yourself. Uh, I learned this week that it wasn't coined as a word until 1711, which is one reason why you won't find it in the King James Version of the Bible, because it didn't exist. Of course, the word self and control did, but as, as a phrase together, self-control. 
um, was coined by an English moral philosopher, Anthony Ashley Cooper, and uh, he also used the term self-command, and to re refer to that equanimity which enables one in any situation to be reasonable and prudent, or restraint of one's desires. But even, even though the word didn't exist till 1711, uh, certainly the concept is found in scripture, and you will find uh, it used in, in modern translations of the Bible. But there are two different Greek words that are translated, at least in the ESV, as self-control. Uh, two different Greek words that both appropriately are translated self-control, but they have different nuance uh, to them, which help us get, uh, fill out this concept. Uh, the first one is sophrosune. Sophrosune. Uh, comes from two words, one for, for like health, for example, and the other one for mind. So soundness of mind is kind of the, the idea of it. Self-control, moderation, temperance, soundness of mind, from the word for salvation or health, and then the word for mind. Uh, so it refers to, to soundness of mind and judgment that's not overcome by sinful passions. It's the state of mind that allows you to do what is proper and to properly use earthly goods rather than to abuse them, to not get carried away, uh, but rather to, uh, to keep your head about you and uh, to, to exercise self-control in that respect. Uh, the King James Version most commonly uses some variant of sobriety when use, translating this word, uh, which does kind of get at some of the sense there that you're not overcome, that you have a sound mind, you're in your right mind, uh, you're, not, you're not insane or you're not uh, drunk, but there also is another Greek word for being sober or sober-minded, so that can get confusing too. Um, there's another Greek word for, for being sober or sober-minded, uh, very similar. So this word uh, for self-control, the soundness of mind, is uh, the word that's used several times in, Luke, as in, in Titus 2. Titus 2 uses this word for self-control or self-controlled um, variants on it throughout Luke 2. Uh, older men are to be self-controlled. Younger women are to be self-controlled. Uh, younger men are to be self-controlled. In fact, everyone in verse, 20, in verse 12 should be self-controlled. Um, when it says that older women should train the younger women, that word for train in verse 4 is also a form of this word. Uh, the idea of making them sensible, bring them to their senses, uh, encourage, exhort, um, to instruct in prudence or behavior that is becoming and shows sound judgment. That's the idea of that word for training. It's actually a variant on this word for self-control. Um, to train the young women to be self-controlled. Um, Titus 2, 11 through 12, when it's addressing everyone, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We've talked about upright, right? That's a word for righteousness. We've talked about godly. That's the, the idea of piety, godliness. Well, it also mentions being self-controlled, having self-controlled lives, not lives marked by worldly passions. 
Now, this word was one of the uh, classical virtues, and if you are reading something like uh, one of one of the the, the classic uh, writings on the cardinal virtues, it would probably translate it as temperance or moderation. But unlike the temperance movement, which is a, a later American movement, which was to try to abstain from alcohol, uh, it's not defined by abstinence of simply not doing things, but by propriety, uh, doing that which is proper, uh, doing that which is, uh, befits the situation, or using things in the way they ought to be used and are intended to be used, uh, properly using things rather than abusing them. So, for example, not using wine to get drunk, uh, which would be an abuse of that. It's not why God made it, not what he designed it for. So, moderation is shown with respect to things like food, not being a glutton, right? Properly using food, uh, drink, clothing, uh, recreation, sleep. Uh, All of these are things that should be used. Uh, It would be immoderate to, to not have any recreation, to not have any exercise, to not have any sleep, that would, that would be immoderate as well, a lack of, of self-control, self-discipline. Uh, but you could also go overboard on these things too. Uh, use them as they ought to be used in accordance with their purposes, as is proper and good. Um, Calvin has an excellent uh, portion in his Institutes of the Christian Religion on using earthly things. Uh, things like food and drink and clothing and arts. Uh, He says, Let this be our principle that we err not in the use of the gifts of providence when we refer them to the end for which their author made and designed them, since he created them for our good and not for our destruction. So he would note that God made things useful. Um, He also made them for enjoyment or delight. Um, He has made food that's good for us, for example, and also tastes good. He's adorned the flowers of the field for our delight. He's also made things for dignity. Clothing is both to be useful for you, to keep you warm, for example, as well as to to lend dignity to you uh, so that uh, you might not be exposed, for example. But these are not intended for drunkenness, for stupefaction. Uh, We're just at the end of it, not useful for anything. Uh, They're not intended for greed or immodesty. And one way that we can, uh, one rule that we can use to try to use things properly is to remember that we should receive all these earthly good things with gratitude to God. And if we're using them in a way that's contrary to gratitude, uh, then, uh, or or to piety, to reverence and thankfulness to God, then then you're not using them rightly. Uh, If you use them in such a way that you give way to sinful actions and desires, if you're using them in a way that you become insensible and unable to give God thanks um, shamefully, well, then then you're not using them well. Uh, But we should give thanks to God. Uh, These are uh, things that show his divine care and goodness to us. Now, moderation involves then the the middle way between too little and too much, but it's also the state of mind that allows you to make such a choice. Um, Drunkenness, for example, first of all, is um, a a lack of self-control that 
that the excess of drinking too much showed a lack of self-control, but then drunkenness itself is wrong because it's a state of intemperance, of, of a lack of self-control. You don't have self-control when you're drunk. Um, you don't have that soundness of mind anymore that you ought to have. A temperate person is able to do what is fitting and good and wise because he's not led away by worldly passions, by sloth or gluttony or rage or lust. When I'm talking about sinful passions, those are the sorts of things that I'm talking about. And they can control you and make you do things that are, are wrong um, and themselves are wrong. But we should be self-controlled. Any questions on, on this word, on sophrosune? Sophrosune. The other word for self-controlled uh, is ekratia. Ekratia. Which perhaps is more literally uh, self-control. It's, it's the idea of self-mastery. Uh, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. Um, this one, the King James more consistently translates as temperance, although the other, it translates the other ones as temperance once or twice too. Uh, but ekratia uh, is, is probably closest to what you initially think of as self-control. The ability to control yourself and so that you do the things that you know are right. And you have control over your, your passions and desires. The alternative is to be mastered and overcome by your desires so that you act contrary to even what you know is right uh, because you gave in to what felt good at the time, uh, even though it was uh, something you knew to be wrong. This word for self-control is mentioned in the list in Second Peter. You know, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge uh, as it goes through the, the virtues. It mentions self-control, and it's this word that's used. Also in the fruit of the Spirit, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit, when He works in a person and begins to make His presence known, He doesn't make His presence known by making you drunk, making you crazy. Uh, he certainly can enliven you in godly desire and love, but it's also self-control, and that is a fruit of the Spirit, not uh, uncontrolled ex ex uh, 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 just pouring out of all sorts of passions. Um, Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a quality that elders should have, Titus uh, 1.8. Uh, Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 9. Let me go ahead and read this, because it's a helpful analogy that Paul uses to explain self-control. He's talking about his own ministry and how he exercises self-control in his ministry, that he might not be disqualified, that he might be able to perform it. Um, he says, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul's using himself as an example, but he's also telling, of course, the Corinthians to exercise self-control as well. The way that a runner 
exercise or self-control, or a boxer, or other kind of athletes. They're able to control their body. They're able to control themselves, and they have that self-discipline. That's a physical self-control for athletics, uh, but it also applies to uh, your uh, obedience to God, your, your manner of life uh, that we ought to, to, to control. Even the pagans recognize that this is kind of important. Um, Socrates said, Should not every man hold self-control to be the foundation of all virtue and first lay this foundation firmly in this, his soul? For who without this can learn any good or practice it worthily? If you don't have self-control, you might know lots of great things and, and yet be a sloth who's just drunk and doesn't get anything done and is worthless. Um, what one needs self-control. But the Bible would tell us this too. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, uh, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. It's important for a city to have walls. Well, maybe not so much today, but, but at that time, if a city didn't have walls, an army could just come on in and take over the town, just like that. It was defenseless. Well, if you have no self-control, you are defenseless. If temptation just happens to come across you real gently, it can completely take you over. Uh, you, you want to have self-control so that you have some defenses. Or Proverbs 16.32, uh, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Well, so you do want someone to take over the city. You want you to take over the city. You want to be in control of it. It's more impressive to rule yourself than to take over a city in, in battle. Uh, this is the battle that you need to win. It is the battle of taking over yourself. That You might use yourself. You are your greatest tool that you can use to accomplish good and to serve the Lord. As Paul says, present your members as instruments for righteousness. You know, you, you yourself, your body is, is a tool that you need to control well, that you might be able to use it for good. So we can think of, of some areas in which this applies. I've mentioned some of these already. Uh, food and drink. You know, Second Peter mentions self-control as a virtue. It also describes the false teachers and what the way of life they were promoting as uh, lacking self-control. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, you know, without shame. In Ephesians, Paul says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Uh, that, that is debauchery. That is just uh, that, that, that frenzy of, of um, immorality. Ecclesiastes says, Happy are you, O land, when your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. They feast at the proper time and they do so for strength in ways that are edifying for them or good for them and not for drunkenness, not just to lose control, uh, not to eat and drink to excess and intemperance. Remember that strong craving and discontentment that Israel showed in the wilderness? God had given them manna, bread from heaven. He had given them water, but they wanted meat. They wanted to have 
something a little more indulgent, and they were dissatisfied with what God had given them. And it's not wrong to eat meat, but it's wrong to be discontent and to have this strong craving that made them greedy and uh, discontent with God and that provoked them to speak against the Lord. Well, that is a lack of self-control. The Lord responded, I'll give them, here's a paraphrase, but I'm going to give them so much meat, it'll come out of their nostrils and be loathsome to them. You want meat? I'll give you meat. And he gave them so much, and they greedily gathered it up so much, you know, it's their their own fault, that they uh, ate excessive amounts, and then the Lord struck them down with a very great plague. Uh, We should exercise self-control eating and drinking what is proper, you know, enjoying them in ways that are, are not to excess, uh, appreciating God's good gifts. The tongue. We need to exercise self-control with respect to our words that we say. The false teachers in Second Peter, Peter says of them, they blaspheme, speaking loud boasts of folly. They entice others. Uh, James says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Uh, So it's important to control uh, your mouth, your words. And that includes what you write, too both what you say and what you write. Speak what is proper, what is fitting for the occasion. Uh, anger is one threat to self-control, one thing that you will need to control. As Proverbs says, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. So as James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So speak, uh, exercise self-control by being patient, long-suffering, slow to anger, not getting upset quickly. Sexual desire is one thing that needs control, self-control. This false teachers in 2 Peter, Peter says of them that they are those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. And then later on, they have eyes full of adultery. And that is what they fix their eyes upon. They are thinking about it. They're looking for it. Be watchful over your eyes, that they're not eyes full of adultery, not instruments of of lust, of illegitimate desire. Sexual desire is a powerful force, so one must be careful to not stir it up to the wrong end, to seek something forbidden. Do not stir it up prematurely as the Song of Songs would remind us. Uh, Do not corrupt it through pornography. And when facing this temptation, remember your goal is to build up a habit of self-control. So either hold back the desire or get married and direct the passion to your spouse. Uh, Flee from sexual immorality. And covetousness is something that needs to be controlled or mortified uh, that can cause a person to be out of control. Again, the false teachers in Second Peter, they have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. 
Uh, he was rebuked by a donkey, right? Uh, but he was just a prophet for hire. Oh, I'll curse them if you give me money. Uh, that's what these false teachers are like, greedy. Watch your hearts that they do not be trained in greed. Beware the love of money and power and possessions. So, exercise self-control. Uh, any questions at this point? Look, having looked at these, these two words for self-control... I want to go more quickly through some related terms, related concepts to self-control that we find in the Bible. Let me turn to 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy 2, 9, it says, Likewise also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. So, we see the word self-control there, but also two other words, respectable and modest, or modesty. Uh, Respectable is cosmios, comes from the word cosmos. Right? Cosmos is like all of creation, the world, kind of an ordered whole, a system. Cosmos would be something that is respectable, well-ordered, observing decorum, or appropriate. It's mentioned later with respect to bishops or overseers, that they should be respectable too, uh, both men and women. Uh, And, of course, with respect to women, it's speaking not of simply being respectable, but also having respectable Apparel, having clothing that is appropriate, uh, observing decorum. Uh, that's, that's a Christian virtue. That's, that's something that we should appreciate. Uh, our, our culture does not so much appreciate it unless it's maybe something very, very formal uh, where there is a dress code. Uh, modesty. Um, it's also mentioned here. Uh, eidos. Literally is a sense of shame. Uh, shamefacedness is how the King James translates it, which is very literal. The idea of having a sense of shame. What would it be like to not have a sense of shame? What would a person act like if they didn't have a sense of shame? They would be? Shameless, shameless right. Uh, they would act shamelessly. Uh, and you kind of get the idea of what that meant. That, that they do things that people really kind of should be ashamed of. Uh, that uh, they act without mo- they act immodestly, uh, but rather having a sense of shame uh, is is good, a healthy sense uh, where one does not act shamelessly. Um, of course, that applies to, to clothing, it applies to behavior, but it also here applies to clothing uh, that one acts uh, modestly, um, uh, covering themselves appropriately. For example, uh, public nakedness is is shameless behavior, um, or is the consequence of being shamed, you know, Christ being stripped, for example, and his crucifixion, uh, he didn't have a choice, they were shaming him, um, but then there's some people that do it themselves, and they lack a sense of shame. So modesty is a Christian virtue. Another word is decently. Oh, Presbyterians love this word. Uh, worship, for example, should be done decently, and in good order. Um, we come across this in 1 Corinthians 14, in Romans 13, 13, couple of, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 12. Um, 
the worship should be done decently, and also that we should live in a decent manner, in a seemly manner, properly. Uh, another word, sober. We mentioned that there is a Greek word for sober, and it can mean literally sober, not drunk, and also being sober-minded, um, being not drunk with, with worldly passions, uh, having a right mind, uh, that you're uh, thinking clearly, that you have a sober mind. Uh, of course, being drunk would be contrary to that. Um, not intoxicated with wine, literally or metaphorically. Uh, we should be sober-minded. Uh, another word related here is, is dignity or gravitas. There's a word semnates or semnos. Uh, that's the Greek word, which means dignity, gravity, honor, or the, the gravity and dignity that invites respect or reverence. Uh, it's the equivalent to the Latin gravitas, having this weight and bearing. Um, in 1 Timothy 3, for example, it's supposed to mark um, elders. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, so uh, that, that he has that dignity within his household. Later on in verse 11, speaking of deacons, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded. This is referred to everyone in Philippians 4, where it's talking about everything that's lovely and worthy and excellent. Honorable, there is the same word, dignified. Uh, That should mark uh, Christian virtue. Uh, We could go to a few other places, Titus 2, 2. Uh, that older men should be dignified, honorable, weighty. Uh, lastly, gentleness. There's a word, praus, or prautes, which means gentleness. Sometimes it's translated meekness or humility. Uh, gentleness, though, is probably usually its meaning. Uh, it's the idea of being able to control yourself, and so to be uh, uh, gentle with others. Jesus was gentle. Of course, he was capable of casting out money changers from the temple, but uh, he was uh, one who was gentle, uh, who uh, was uh, not harsh, uh, who had strength and controlled it well. Um, Blessed are the gentle. Of course, we usually translate it, blessed are the meek in the Beatitudes, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, They're not the greedy and covetous that grab from others and seek to get the land that way, right? They're restrained and and gentle, especially when the occasion calls for it. Uh, In Matthew 11, 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Uh, Jesus is a gentle Savior, and so he is one that invites us to come to him, uh, that his yoke is easy. He is not a harsh master like Pharaoh. Uh, He is a good Savior who is gentle with his sheep. Um, And in Matthew 21, verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, again that same word, meek or gentle, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And, of course, this is also found in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, not only uh, 
that there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, Christians are to be those who are self-controlled and, and holding their, their strength under control so that they uh, can be gentle. So any questions before we close up uh, then? Finish up. So this, these are not all the virtues that are described in the Bible, but some of the significant ones, uh, and some of them indeed are more like clusters of virtues. But let us continue to make every effort uh, to add to our faith virtue, uh, to make these qualities ours, and to increase them, to be training ourselves in godliness, looking to Jesus, uh, the, the author of our faith, the object of our faith, and also the model for perfect virtue as one who is holy and, and righteous, blameless. And let us trust in him. Join with me in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your kindness toward us, uh, for your excellency, which has been displayed not only in the world that you have made, but also in your provisions of grace and your gospel. We pray that you would help us to reflect you and to bear your image, that we might give glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.